Uh, thank you, John. What a great introduction. <laughs> great introduction. I was on my way to the doctors to get my flu injection and Tammy calls me. I'm not well. I'm not well. But, uh, but here I am. I love that song that uh, says that Jesus loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And we have the opportunity tonight to move higher and closer to the Lord and deeper into his love. I want to talk to you tonight about, or this morning, whatever part of the world you're living in, about the Rebecca principle, how we can walk the second mile. There was a study done many years back trying to discover what it is that makes people live longer. And they came up with the uh, conclusion that the number one reason why people live longer was work satisfaction. Work satisfaction. Hands up those who think they're not going to live very long. <laughs> All right, there are not too many today that uh, really enjoy their work or love their work. But there's a lot of stress in the workplace these days, even trying to find employment and then trying to hold on to employment. There is a lot of stress around. And um, I've said for many, many years now that there's no such a thing as security in work. No such a thing as security in employment. Unless, of course, you're working for the government and uh, you're a public servant, for example. Even in Canberra today, there are over 170 public servants who earn more than the Prime Minister. And there are a couple who even earn double his salary. We even have in our own state here, Jeanette Young, who earns about 500000 a year. And obviously she does a great job, and she means well, but where's the security? No such thing as security in our work anymore, in employment anymore. So the warning signs are there in the workplace. Uh, the stress signs are there. The rapid pulse, a uh, lot of sickness, people take sickies, and they even take it when they've accumulated uh, a number of uh, days during the year, and they say, oh, I may as well take it off, uh, even though I'm not sick. And that's prevalent in our world today. And there's, um, well... Uh, the lack of sleep, or unable to sleep. Then there's the uh, trying to be uh, politically correct, which I struggle with. And that puts a lot of pressure on today. Even now, we have the uh, latest edition is sex, sexual harassment, which is putting pressure on a lot of people in the workplace today. I remember there's a little girl in grade one. She was... Um, telling her teacher that her father came home from work and brought work home every night from the office. And she happened to ask her dad one day, Dad, why is it that you bring uh, work home from the office? And she said, Dear, look, it's because I've got so much to do that I don't get it done and so I've got to bring it home to finish it. And she said, Dad, why, why don't they put you in a, smaller, in a, in a slower group? And, uh, well, that's a, that was a nice thought, but I doubt whether that would ever happen. So what I want to share with you is um, 
is really a life-changing principle, the Rebecca principle. And it will not only help you in your work, but also in your relationship with people. Whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're thinking of a career change, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're a volunteer in the church or a leader in the church, whether you're on the roster or not, a different approach to our work could make all the difference. And in Genesis 24, it's a great story. I've read it a number of times in the last couple of months. A great story. Abraham's getting old. His wife, Sarah, has died. And Isaac, the son, is about 40 years of age. And uh, it's the job in Bible times to go and find a son or uh, someone, a wife for your son. And I think it still happens in some countries today. And being a grandfather and a great-grandfather, I think it's a great idea. In fact, I have a grandson. Uh, he's not here today, but he may be um, in our next service. So I better not say too much. I would love to choose for our grandchildren. But when I was uh, looking for a wife, I thought it was a shocking idea for my parents to even suggest that they go and find somebody. But God led me to uh, my uh, right lady for over 53 years. How good is that? 53 years and still going strong. I think I've got another 20 years to go. And I think that's what she's afraid of. Uh, <laughs> playing with me. Good night. And she says, I'm also deluded. But anyway, that's a matter of thing. But that's what was the custom was. So Abraham uh, says to his servant, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what he, the servant's name is. Uh, we believe it's Eli, Eliezer, who was a trusted servant of Abraham. And um, most commentators think it's Eliezer. And so he said to uh, Eliezer, I want you to go to my area and find a wife for my son. Now, this time, uh, Abraham's living in Canaan and uh, Abraham doesn't want Isaac to go uh, and find a, uh, a wife for his son in this area. He said, I want you to go to my clan. I want you to go to my family, country, where they live. He doesn't want his son to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. The Canaanites where Abraham was were healing people. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 24 and I just read to you from verses 10 to 21. And then he says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kind of good things from his master. And he set out for Aram, or around in Mesopotamia, the town of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. And it was towards evening and the time the women go out to draw water. And then he prayed this incredible prayer. I have to tell you before we get any further. The servant said, what happens if this woman, if I find a woman and she doesn't want to come back with me? 
uh, shall, sh shouldn't I take Isaac with me? Because it'd be a lot easier if he went with me and he could choose. And Abraham said, no, no, listen. The angel of the Lord is going to go before you. Hallelujah. The angel of the Lord is going to go before you and he's going to lead you to a person of God's choosing. What a wonderful truth that is. And then he prays this prayer. Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be when I say to a girl, and he didn't know which one it was going to be, until I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I might have a drink. And she says, well, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. <laughs> this is thrilling stuff, I tell you. This would make a good movie, huh? Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, so on the family, see. The girl was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. And the servant, <laughs> just try to picture this. Different type of picture, but uh, it doesn't hold water. But, but just visualise this at the moment. And, uh, and so after he said, drink, my Lord, and oh, oh, the servant hurried out to meet her. Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. Oh, man, if your shirt doesn't run up your back when you hear that, it's identical to what he's prayer. And here's a woman who wouldn't have a clue what was going on. That could only be the hand of God, the almighty God, the supernatural God who answers prayer. So she quickly emptied the jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels, 10 of them. And without, <laughs> without saying a word, the man watched closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. What a great story. I suggest, not right now, that you read that when you get home. The rest of that chapter, it is unbelievably good. The key verse is in verse 19, that I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So I want you to understand Rebecca's willingness to go the second mile. You have to understand that there are camels, these ten camels, and they'll take one and a half to two hours to feed the camels, <clears throat> and each camel um, would drink oh, about 120 uh, gallons, about 120 gallons. There's about a thousand gallons altogether, or a thousand litres altogether, 
and to feed the tent would take one and a half to two hours and so it's quite a honour, or not an honour, but quite a responsibility for this woman to go down and keep drawing water to feed, to uh, give a drink to all these camels. It's incredible, an incredible story. So here is a lady who sees a stranger, not only gives what is asked of her, but voluntarily and willingly looks at this stranger and says, I will also like to draw water for your camels and take care of your camels if you allow me to, sir. So this is the Rebecca principle right now. I'll do what you ask and then some. That's the second mile. I'll give you a drink and water your camels also. That's the second mile principle. Some may be tempted to say, well, you contrast that rather with what's happening in our, or the philosophy in our world today. Some may be tempted to say, I'm going to do the least that is expected of me and I'm going to try to get the most payment for, for it. Minimum effort, maximum return. That may be the case in our workplace today. As believers, we should live a higher standard, not only in the marketplace, but also in the church, going the second mile. The scriptures tell us, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. And when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he taught that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known as the legalists. They would do exactly what was asked of them, nothing more and nothing less. And then Jesus went on to say and talk about the cheek and that as believers we are to turn the other cheek. And then he went on and talked about our coat, that if someone needs it, we are to give that person that coat. And then he talked about the second mile. As believers, we are to walk the second mile. So when Jesus talked about going the second miles, the Jews knew exactly what he was talking about because they were under Roman authority. And the Romans uh, said that um, if you needed, if, I, if they needed help, they, have, well, they would ask you to go and help them. If they needed you to carry something, you would carry that, no question asked. If they needed uh, a coat to put on, you would give them that coat no questions asked. They knew that they owned you for one mile. And then after that, you could do what you wanted to do. So if they had something that they couldn't carry, you, you needed to help them carry that, you could do it for a mile and drop it and say, see you, Buster. That was the, that was the Jews knew what Jesus was talking about because they're under that Roman authority. Jesus was teaching friends of his that in life the Christian walks the second mile. The first mile the boss might own you. You might go and punch in the clock. You might do the things that you've got to do. But Jesus was saying the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is this. The Christian walks the second mile, does the little extra that causes the person over them to say, hey, wait a minute, why is he doing that? He doesn't have to do that extra bit. He wasn't asked to do that. 
But if we operated under the Rebecca principle, we would not only have excellence in the workplace, but we would have people who are hiring others, asking on the questionnaire, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? And they knew that Christians would go the second mile and make up the difference and do that little bit extra. And in a sense, that happened to me when I worked in the carpet business in Manus Furnishings in Mount Alexander Road in Essendon. The two bosses were Catholic and they had previous uh, success with hiring people who worked in churches, who, who attended church. And they had a uh, advertising man who would call in them on uh, every week. And they asked him, uh, Mr. Valentine, do you know of anyone um, that you know of that may be looking for work that attends church? He said, well, as a matter of fact, the church I attend, uh, there is someone there, and that was me, and that was at the College Church, just next door to Kingsley College. It's not called the College Church now. I think it's Box Forest in 21 South Street, Glenroy. And he said, yes, uh, so uh, my name was mentioned. I went along for an interview and I got the job. And that were some of the best years of my life in the carpet business. And I was rewarded handsomely because of my work ethic and the record number of sales that I uh, had achieved. So you talk about a witness, and I'm not talking about sharing your faith in the workplace and quoting scripture, but if we could understand and get into the marketplace and give maximum effort and do our very best and walk the second mile, I'll promise you that employers would be coming to our church of a Sunday, not because of the great preaching, not because we're a Bible-believing church, but because they realise that Christians can make a difference in the workplace. They can walk the second mile than being a lazy, apathetic, just-get-by attitude that is so prevalent in our world today. Jesus says if you want to be a witness in the workplace, quit quoting scripture. In fact, if you're not giving maximum effort, do everyone in favour and tell them you're not a Christian. <laughs> Give the boss the best that you can and then some, then tell them about Jesus and how he can change your life. Hallelujah. That's the order. So how does the second mile principle work in our lives? A couple of things. Number one, we're not to live our lives by the measuring rod. Where we're always measuring, oh, he's doing more than me and she's doing this and she's doing that and they've got advantages over me and all that sort of stuff, you know. We play that game. You know, the Pharisees were the legalists. They were the ones who would come in and punch the clock and do nothing more than was required of them. We cannot walk the second mile until we can walk the first and do a good job of that. I've been reading in uh, Colossians lately and I was interested to find just a week or two ago um, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not men. In other words... If we could regard work as an act of worship, 
And of serving God, such an attitude would take boredom out of your work. Amen? And drudgery out of your work. It's an act of worship when we go to employ, even though we may be an unbeliever, even though it may be a godly place, when we do our best and then some, it's an act of worship from the believer as a witness in the marketplace. The second thing, extra blessing comes from extra effort. What we put in is what we get out. But just forget about that for a moment. What about marriage? If every husband and wife could understand this principle and walk the second mile and go and do for their spouse, not just as required of them, but doing that little bit extra, those little things, just because you want to and just because you love them, the divorce courts would dry up if we would understand this principle. Marriages fall apart not when we want to do something extra for our spouse, they fall apart apart when we sit around waiting for our spouse to do something extra for us. Thank you, Lord. Good preaching. I know that. I appreciate that. It's rather quiet down here. So those three words make the difference, and then some. Successful people do what's expected of them, and then some. Successful marriages do what is expected of them, and then some. Successful students do what's expected of them, and then some. Those who volunteer in the church do what's expected of them, and then some. Not, it's not my job, or how little must I do. That attitude will kill you. What would, what would happen if we all became second-mile people? If we became like Rebecca? i tell you what would happen. We would receive more from life, more from others, more from God than we would ever think possible. And that's why people who are not givers in life never receive anything. Because Rebecca gave more than was expected of her she received more than, was, than she expected. Not only did she not only know who the servant was and what his mission was, she had no idea what going that second mile and water, watering her, that man's camels also meant. Little did Little, she realise that statement, I'll take, take care, care of, of your camels. camels also, would do for her. Little did she realise that statement would allow her to marry a man by the name of Isaac and allow her to become the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus the Messiah. That's the spirit. That's the attitude. Oh, this is where it gets significant, folks. Jesus says in the last days when the master looks at the sheep, that's the believers, he's going to say something like this. Thank you for clothing me. And we'll say, good night. When on earth did we do that? And he's going to say, thanks for giving me food. And we'll say, when on earth did we do that? And Jesus said, when you do those little extra things unto others with the right motive, it's when you do that to me. You become, you become Rebecca people. You become second mile people. There are a lot of people today who do not 
enjoy their jobs, nor their spouses, or life at all, because they have not learnt to become or understand that Rebecca principle. So I want to give you, Rebecca teaches us five things. Five things. Number one is, don't despise the little jobs. The next slide. Okay. Every evening she did the same thing and she drew water from the well for her family. Excuse the pun, it was boring, but I know that she did it every day. And Jesus says we have to be faithful in the little things or the few things in order to be ruler over more things or many things. I think many today want the big position. Want they the want big the big salary. They want to jump straight into, into it. it. <clears throat> but let me say to you, if you don't do your best in the small things, you won't do your best in the bigger things. When they come along, you'll cut corners and become sloppy. The second thing that we learn, don't wait for the big moment. Some people are saying, I can hardly wait to get away from this well. I want to get down to the city gate where all the action is and the big decisions are made for that big job to come along and for that big break in life to come along. Let me tell you, that if you're not happy with what you're doing now, you will not be happy with what you're going to do tomorrow. Happiness is not a position in the company. Happiness is not a position in the church. Happiness is an attitude. It's a choice that we make. It's a byproduct of doing what is right. Some single say, people say, some single people say, when I get married, I'm going to be happy. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you're not happy now, you'll never be happy when you get married. The only difference will be is when you get married, you'll make somebody else unhappy. <laughs> Number three, help, peop help people and you'll always be a blessing. Now, for those of you who were born after 1950, you may know what I'm going to quote here. A song. Or maybe after 1850, I don't know what it was. <laughs> what a great prayer this is. Out on the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. Tell the sweet story of Christ and his love. Tell of his power to forgive. Others will trust him if only you prove true every moment you live. Give as twas given to you in your need. Love as the master loved you. Be to the helpless a helper indeed unto your mission is true. I should have had Mel up here playing this chorus for me. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing out of my life. May Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, or Saviour, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. Anyone know that one? Yeah, I thought it was 1850. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. 
Good mood. There wasn't too much television. That's your problem. <laughs> it's a great song. It's a great song. Number four, do your best and then some. Whatever you do in the church, in the home or in the job, give it your best effort and then some. And then number five, when God opens the door, walk through it. Go through it. When God gives you the opportunity and you have the right attitude and you're mature, walk through that door. God's promoting you and blessing you. You look at what happened to Rebecca in chapter 24 of Genesis and verses 54 onwards. The servant tells Rebecca's mom and brother the miraculous way that God led him to her. And they say, truly, God is good. And they say, amen, to the prayer that he prayed and the, re- and the response that Rebecca gave. And then, um, what's the bloke's name, the, the, the brother's name? Said, what are we, what, look, I want her to stay another 10 days. You want to put her in quarantine for another 10 days? Put her in lockdown for 10 days? After I've told you of the miraculous way that God answered prayer and led us to her, and, 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 and we gave her gifts and put a nose in a ring, uh, a ring through her nose, <laughs> and all the other stuff, all these gifts, And uh, when he realised that this was the person that God had led her to, and uh, Eliezer said, um, please, let let her come with me now. And then they said, all right, we'll go and ask her what she wants. So they go to uh, ask Rebecca, what do you want to do? Do you want to go with Eliezer now or do you want to, uh, we want to wait 10 days? I want to go with him now. I want to go with him now. Read the story. It's just riveting stuff. And so they blessed her and sent her on her way and she hops on one of the camels that she fed <laughs> and it takes off. She know the one I'm hopping on, I know I've fed him. He's got, a, he's got enough petrol to get me to where I'm going. <laughs> so her motives were right. She done, she, because she was a second mile person and now God opened up the door and she said, I'm going to walk right through. That door. And the rest is history as you read that story. A wonderful, a wonderful story. We're on, we're on holidays about a month ago. We are up at Caloundra and it was raining every day, you know, how it does here sometimes. <laughs> we had nothing much to do right on the boardwalk there of uh, Caloundra. And we thought, why don't we go to um, Kiwana Water Shopping Centre? So we go off in the rain and it was around about lunchtime. And I thought, I don't know whether I'm really hungry. So we get in walking around. We came to one of the, uh, the end of the mall or, or the hallway, many hallways at the Kiwana Shopping Centre. And I noticed a sign which says Jamaica Blue Restaurant. I thought, oh, yeah, I've been there. I went to one in Malulaba. So we wandered off down, still not sure what we wanted to eat or if we wanted to eat anything. So 
<clears throat> we were looking at the menu. The menu was on a stand like this outside. People were inside and there were tables in the hallway as well. So I, uh, looking there, and then this sweet young waitress came up and said, uh, good afternoon, welcome. Uh, if you see anything you like, uh, just go down a little further there to the counter and they will serve you. And I thought, oh, that's nice and sweet of her. And because of her, we did find something we liked. My wife went and took her seat at the table outside and I walked down and waited till I served. And while I was waiting in line, she comes up, this lady, uh, young waitress, comes in with two glasses of water and takes them, walks post, straight past me and leaves them on our table. And I thought, that young lady, she's done what is right and she's watered our camels too. <laughs> My wife's not a camel, by the way. So we really enjoyed the meal and then I felt led to go up to her after our meal and I found her and I said, excuse me, I just want to thank you how much we appreciate you making us welcome today. We wouldn't have eaten here if it hadn't have been for you. And I just want to tell you, um, you made us feel welcome. And she said, you don't know what that means to me. You've made my day. All because of a young lady who did that little bit extra, who walked the second mile and made us feel welcome. Have the worship team come up for a minute. What sort of impression are you leaving where you work, where you live? I think this is a, a timely word to us today. Look, I know it's only a couple of weeks out from uh, um, Labor Day. I think they still have that up here in Queensland in a couple of weeks' time where the unions are out to try to get work for their employees, uh, their members, trying to secure work, but we know that there's nothing much secure today. But I'm on about today, what I'm on about today is doing that little bit extra. If God is challenging you and speaking to your heart, I would encourage you to honour him and respond to him today. There's a prayer I'd like us to pray. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, help us to be Rebecca people, that we did our job and then some. He was a wonderful husband and then some. So Lord, help us to walk into the marketplace on Monday with a smile and a good spirit and extra effort that will glorify your name. Amen. Just one other thing. The second mile is a good way to travel because there's not many who travel that way. Not much traffic on the second mile. It's a good way to travel. I encourage you to start that. Amen. Help.